Well, we're glad everybody could make it out. We're going to continue where we left off last week uh, as, as we're on the latter part of this series in His image, recognizing what it means to be created in the image of God, to be His representative, His image, understanding that. We spent a lot about a time talking about these threefold questions that every be- uh, believer has to answer. There's actually four of them, but we looked at two primarily. Number one is, who is God? We have to be able to answer that question from Scripture, which we didn't spend time on in this series, but we've talked about it in the past. The next one is, who am I in relationship to Him? which is where we are now. We started ahead with the who is my enemy, understanding how the enemy moves and the things that are happening in our society that we need to be aware of. Because the thing that happens is when you're under attack and you don't recognize it, it's a tragedy because the church is not on high alert. You know what the church is doing right now? It's coasting. It's existing. If you understand the words of Scripture, you realize that we are in a battle. It's a consistent battle. It's not a time in which we get to take off and rest in our loyalty because when we were born again, we were born again with a purpose, to a purpose, to do certain things, not just simply exist. The church was never intended to be just a social club of which you gather together, you pay your weekly dues, you sing a few songs, and you move on. But that is what it's become. We've lost sight of the focus of what Jesus came to do. And because of that, we don't recognize who we are in relationship to God. Because if you know that, then suddenly a lot of things begin to fall off. The attacks of the enemy cannot work because you know who you are. You know what you've been created to. How you've changed and all of that. And we began to go through this. And we're going to build upon it this week to get an understanding of the words that Christ said. So we're going to start in John chapter 10. We read this last week. We're going to read it again. John chapter 10 verse 22. It says, now it was the Feast of Dedication, which is is Hanukkah in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now understand, Hanukkah was not a celebration that was required. Okay, It was something that they chose to do to kind of remember the battle of the Maccabees and Justin Maccabeus and all this other stuff that was going on. I don't want to get into all of that. But what would happen is many, many, many people would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate. Okay, So while it wasn't a feast that was required pilgrimage, a lot of people did come back. And so it was the Feast of Dedication. So understand that during this time, there are going to be a lot of people around. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, the Jews means unbelieving Jews. These are people that are antagonists to Jesus. They are coming against him. They don't believe what he says. They are trying to thwart his plan. And so now they are trying to get him to confess. Are you Messiah? Just tell us plainly. Why are they saying that? They're saying that because what did Jesus teach him? He taught in parables. So seeing they would not see, and hearing they would not understand. So you've got that aspect of it. But they're also looking for reasons that they can execute Jesus. Remember that. The Jews, mainly the Pharisees, and we'll get into that here in a minute, mainly the Pharisees were around, and there was a reason for that, but they are looking for a reason to take Jesus under arrest. So here we go. The Jews surround him and said, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now stop for a minute. So when he says, I told you, and you don't believe, the works that I do, he does how? In his Father's name. Where did he get his authority from? From his Father. 
I do it in my Father's name. And those works bear witness of me. What works is he referencing? The miracles. There weren't soup kitchens. There weren't bread lines. What have we done with the works of Jesus? We've turned them into some moral things, and especially this time of year, right? Because everybody and their brother starts volunteering at all the food pantries and things like that. That's a good thing, but that's not what he's talking about. The works he's talking about are the miracles, primarily the messianic miracles. We'll come back to that here in a minute. But there was something that only Messiah could do. So he said, I told you, you don't believe. I do this in my Father's name, and they bear witness. And he says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. In other words, you are not one of my followers. You're choosing not to believe. It's not a lack of information because information was given to many, many people. And many people became the disciples of Jesus. It wasn't just the 12. He had thousands of disciples. His disciples were out baptizing people in the name of Jesus. They were baptizing into the family of God. They were bringing them in so that they could be followers of Jesus as well. Remember, that was a Jewish thing, an association thing. But when he makes this statement here that you are not of my sheep, it is not because they're confused. It's because they choose not to believe. Look what he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. You notice he didn't say I'm getting them on the one-way path to heaven. It's all about eternal life. See, we've taken it and we've dumbed it down and we've turned it into cute things that we can hang pictures on walls and talk about it. I mean, as many of you guys know, my mom just passed away. Okay? And so all she I remember talking about, as kids, she's like, I'm going on the first train in the rapture. She didn't make it. That's all she talked about. I can't wait to see them pearly gates and all of that kind of stuff. I guarantee you right now, God's like, man, maybe we should give her a few more years. She's driving me crazy. <laughs> but the thing is, is like that's all she talked about was her relationship with God to get to heaven. My mom was not a soul winner. She was a generous person. She loved the Lord. She'd talk about God to anybody. And she would talk about anything to anybody on top of that. All right, if you know my mom, you understand. But all she could think of is that I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. That is what we talk about in the church. But that's not what Jesus said. I've come to give them eternal life. But the life they're living right now is with a purpose. To do what? The works that I do. Keep that in mind as we go forward. Then he says something in verse 29. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my, uh, my father's hand. I and my father are one. This is a huge statement. Because what he's saying here is that where he stops and the father begins, you can't tell. There's an overlap. When you saw Jesus, did you see the father? Of course. If you saw the father, did you see Jesus? Of course. Why? Because they're one. It's the concept of marriage that two shall become one flesh. Right? Their personalities begin to merge. I've been told as you get older, you start to look alike too. I pray for my wife's sake. That's not true. <laughs> but I mean, the, where, where Jesus stopped and the Father started, who knows? But let's go on. Verse 31, the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? Now, why did they pull up the rock? Because he's blaspheming God, so they thought. But he questions them. You notice he's not in fear. Did he fear death? No. Did he fear the anguish that he was getting ready to partake of? I wouldn't say fear is the right word, but he wasn't looking forward to it. 
But he didn't fear death. He says, many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? In other words, he's questioning. You're bringing an accusation. Remember, this is corporal punishment. This is how we're thinking about this. Is This is essentially the electric chair. Because this is how they would handle things. Now, at this time, they were underneath Roman rule, and they had every right to live their lives to the fullest under the religious liberties that they had, except for one. They were not allowed to bring corporal punishment. It's the only thing. That is why Jesus had to go before Pilate. He had to get Rome's blessing in order to bring execution to him. But here they are. They're pulling up stones. And he says, now, which thing that you have seen me do that I have shown you from my Father, which one of those things are you stoning me for? He's calling them out. Now, watch what they say. He answered them, for good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Now, the good works, oh, that's cute. Yeah, you healed people, and there was that dead guy that got up and walked, and, and uh, that lame guy that got up and walked, and that blind guy that couldn't see, but now he does see. And you've done all that. That's great, but you're not God. We're going we're gonna to stone you for blasphemy. So they're looking past all that. They're looking for something to hang him on. You, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered him, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called them God's to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified is sent into the world, you are blaspheming because he said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, the, uh, but if I do though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Here we are again. The Father is in me and I in him. Where the Father started and where Jesus started, you'd never be able to tell the difference. Because he's there acting as a representative of the Father. I'm only doing what he has given me authority to do. I'm only saying what I hear him say. These are, this is what's going on. Now, the works in question specifically, I know I talked about this last week. I just want to hit this real quick. There were four Messianic miracles that they believed at that time that, the, that only Messiah could do. This is a belief held among the Jews. You can tr trace this back in some of the ancient writings. This is how we know about this stuff. This is not biblical, okay? And I'm not even saying that they were accurate in their belief system, but these were things that they believed at the time. And this is why there were specific miracles that are laid out. Here they are, cleansing of a leper. They believed that leprosy was given by God as a result of sin. Therefore, the only God himself could heal you from it. There was nothing medicinal you could do. Casting out of a deaf and dumb spirit. Remember, there were Jewish exorcists who believed that they could cast out demons, and in order to do that, they had to get the name of the demon so they knew who to address and could cast him out. Well, if you can't hear and you can't talk, what can they not get? Can't get the name because you never even heard a mask, right? Okay. The third one is the healing of birth defects. Again, they believe that this is somebody that has sin in their life, either from the parents or somebody like that, and only God could heal that. That's why when Jesus healed the blind man who was blind from birth, the Pharisees are questioning him whether he really, really was blind, and the parents are like, hey, listen, he's a grown man. Ask him. Like, don't drag us into the middle of this. We had nothing to do. We made him, but that's where it stopped. And then the last one is the raising of the dead after the third day because they believe the soul of a man stayed with the body up until day three, but day four, the body was too decomposed. He could not bring him back to life. Only God could do that. And that's the whole thing with Lazarus. There's twice in there that it mentions that it was the fourth day. So this is the undergirding of what's going on in the background of Scripture. And if you don't get that, you'll miss out on a lot of the nuance. But the reason this mattered, the reason the Jews were questioning, the reason this was here is because the Pharisees being in charge of the Sanhedrin were required to declare Messiah has arrived. So anytime one of these miracles would take place, 
that it would be reported to them. They would go and investigate it. And that is why the Pharisees were always around Jesus. That's why they were questioning him. That's why they were looking for him. And so they had to declare it. That is why the judgment came on Israel because the leaders of Israel did not recognize him at his coming and the judgment came upon them. And what was that judgment? The destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied it. So there's this whole nuance that's happening here. But to a Jew at this point, when they, this happened, they should have recognized the sign. This is only God. And so he's making these statements, but then he says, I and my Father are one. So powerful. Because we try to separate it. We try to look at the, the Trinity. And we do a really bad job with it. We don't have any illustration that we can make that will make the Trinity make sense. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three unique individuals, yet one. And so as you study Scripture and you begin to look at this stuff, you're like, okay, this is confusing, and it is. But on earth, what was Jesus? He was a man. He did not come down as God. He didn't come with all his godlike powers and just start moving things and making things happen. He came and was birthed as a man in all ways tempted like we are yet without sin. It says, I think it's in Matthew, one of the Gospels, I forget now, where it says that he grew in stature with man and God. You can't grow in God if you are God. He's there as a man. When do the miracles begin? When the Holy Spirit came upon him. Well, what's the same thing that happened with the disciples? What happens with us? It's that same pecking order. But with Jesus, as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, where God began and Jesus ended, you'd never know. There was so much overlap. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past, the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had him by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What was he? The express representative of God. I, you've got to get that because it's so crucial because who we are in him is hinged upon that fact. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. 
For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. What an opening remark. Paul, writing this, is super excited because he heard that these guys had given their life to Christ. And so now he's laying all of this wonderful stuff and this truth out that you may be full of wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may produce fruit, that you'll be fruitful and increase in knowledge of God. Same thing that we would pray for anybody who's beginning their relationship and their walk with the Lord. But watch what he says next. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now remember, when we think of Jesus, do we think of Jesus the man walking around the earth? No, we think of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father because that's our reality. But their reality is like, that dude was just here not long ago. What does he say? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is a title. Inheritor. Ruler over all creation. Verse 16. For by him, now who is him? That same Jesus, that dude that was just walking on this earth not that long ago. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. Now, stop. This information being given to them is new. See, we take this for granted. But imagine you heard about this guy, Jesus, and he was doing some crazy thing all around Jerusalem and the other parts there, and then you hear about him dying. In fact, you may have been there when it happened, and three days later, he comes back. They might have been there, you know, when the earth quaked and the sun went dark and all of that. Like, there's some weird times going on. When Paul wrote this, this is somebody who was real, and what does he say? He is, uh, by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. They know of both worlds. And then what he says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, they know what that means. That's spiritual. They're not just talking about earthly kingdoms. They're talking about the spiritual power. These are words that they would have got that you and I just kind of take for granted because they knew where the throne of Satan was. They were well aware of the false god and the gods of pain. You know why? Because many of them were worshiping him not too many days before this letter went out. They're well aware of the power and the stronghold and the reality of the spiritual world and the darkness that was going on. And now all of a sudden, this guy came and changed everything. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, this is the authority. This is the power. We're Jesus stopped. The Father began. You couldn't tell in the overlap of where they were and what they were doing because they were always one and the same. One and the same. He came as a representative of the Father. He's the image of the invisible God. Now, with that information in mind, last week I read out of John 17, and we're going to come back to this, this prayer that Jesus gave right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. It's so powerful. If you read it really, really slow and you see the words that he's saying, 
It's so powerful. But there's a context to this that I want to show you today. Now, I don't normally do this. We're going to start in John chapter 14 and verse 1. I don't normally just do this and go through chapter after chapter here, but I want you to see the context of that prayer because he's preparing his disciples. Now, remember, the book of John is believed to have consisted about 19 days of Jesus' life, and it captures a lot of information for 19 days. There were some things happening right then and there. But as he's getting ready to go, he's giving kind of the last hoorah to his disciples, telling them what to be prepared for before he gets to that prayer. That prayer has this context. You've got to understand it. John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, this is a big deal, but understand what's going on. That word mansion should be probably just rooms. We think of mansion, this is what my mom always talked about. Oh, I'm getting my mansion. Well, she got it, I guess. But they were, this, this is a cultural thing. This was a Jewish wedding ceremony that Jesus referenced. I go to prepare a place. This is where the son, when he was in, uh, engaged to his wife, I guess, at the time before the marriage that they would go off and they would add on to the father's house to prepare a room for you, a place for you. And then when it was time, when everything was ready and the father believed that that son was ready to go and take his bride, he would give him the green light. But he didn't know when it was. Only the father knew. Only the father knew when enough was enough. And the bride had no idea when it was coming, so what was she supposed to do? Stay ready. Does that sound okay? You guys are with me. Let's go on. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, who are they talking to? So what do you just say? If you know me, who else do you know? You know the Father. From now on, you know him and you've seen him. Well, who have they seen? Jesus, where he starts, where he stops. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now, what is he telling him? He's kind of scolding him. Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is making a theological statement. And I think one that everybody would agree with. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you see the Father, you see Jesus. No problem. I think most of us can accept that. They're confused by it because imagine if you were standing there, right? Hey, I want to see God. Uh, you are. It'd be a little confusing. But look what he says on verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now stop. What works is he referencing? You see, before that, he says, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. 
And then he says, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. What works is he referencing? Is it the same works that he's referenced in other places? Of course it is. He's talking about the miracles. So what did he expect of the disciples sitting there? You are going to do greater works than I do because I go to my Father. The church has twisted this. We've talked about evangelism. That's good. We've talked about discipleship. That's good. We've talked about all the different social programs that a church can do. Those are good things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the miracles. He's throwing it down there. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So now he's telling them, you're going to do it. Anything you ask in my name, I'm going to do it. What is he saying here? He's introducing the idea of the cohesion between Jesus and the disciples. He's laying this out here. In other words, you can do what I have done. Now, again, we take this for granted, but this is new information to them. Now, look what he says, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Where will the Holy Spirit be? Be with us and in us. Okay? So now, he, again, he's laying all this out. Verse 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, what did he just say here? I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's kind of like that trifold. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, he's in there too. So now, he's telling them what? As I was the express image of the Father, you are now the express image of me. The works that I have done under the authority of the Father, the words I spoke and the things that I did, I did to represent God to this world. The world didn't know him because it can't, but you know him because you recognize it. You will continue this very thing. Was the expectation that these guys would walk on earth as Jesus walked on earth? Absolutely. Let's go on. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And not to the world. Now, who is the world? This is the unbelieving, unregenerate world. These people who have rejected Christ. Keep that word rejected in mind. Because there's not a lack of information. They're choosing not to follow. It is a rejection. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So where is his home going to be? With us. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Now, again, this is the foundation of that John 17 prayer. Just keep that in mind. 
What is he introducing? The idea is that he is in the Father, the Father is in me. We will be in you. We will be as one. What is the expectation? When that happens, you will be as we are doing the works that we did. Okay? Now let's go to chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, we're going to talk about this here probably next week, but what is he saying here? The source of this life that he's referencing comes through him. That means you can be disconnected from the source. You're already clean because you believe the word. But now, stay connected. Abide in me. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. What is the purpose of a disciple? Bear fruit. Not join the social club. Not get the one-way ticket to heaven. It's to bear fruit. That is what Jesus came to do. Will you bear fruit in eternity? We don't know for sure. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But that's the purpose. What was Adam created to do? Bear fruit. Span the garden. The original creation will come to a fold once again. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this, my Father, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Now look how that's connected. What fruit is he referencing? He's referencing Back to the works. What did the works do? Proved who he was. What do the works do today? Prove who he is. You guys see this? I want to make sure you're getting this because it's all intertwined. We separate these ideas and we have these cute little sayings and these things, but we don't actually live as if these words are true. Imagine being a disciple of Jesus sitting hearing this for the first time. Like, do you know what he's saying about us? Do you know what the implications are? Do you know what this means? Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So you can clearly see that Jesus is sitting here making the same connection. As I did for the Father, you do for me. As I did for the Father, you do for me. As I did the works, you do the works. As I represented the Father, you represent me. You guys, everybody got that. Good. Let's go on. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay, to, to, than to lay one, down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I choose you, chose you and appointed you that you should go and make your way to heaven. No. Let's go that you bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. 
So bearing fruit seems to be the purpose of the disciples, and there's only one way to do that. You are his image or his representative. You do the works that he does. That's how you bear fruit. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Let's go to verse 18. The world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now stop for a minute. Why is he saying this? Well, just like with Jesus, why were they persecuting him? Because he was claiming to be one with God. Well, what is the church? The church is one with God. We are the mouthpiece of God. We are the hands of God. We are the feet of God. And therefore, as we study the word, we begin to understand the will of God. And we start seeing these things. And so does the world love Jesus? No. They love an idea of Jesus, this savior complex that they have where, hey, we can do whatever we want, live however we want, believe whatever we want, and we can just all get to go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. Why? Because you should not be able to tell where the church ends and Jesus begins because it is one in the same. But that's not the reality that we're walking in. There's a lot of things that claim to be church that is not church. There's a lot of teaching out there that seem to be truth that is not truth. We have to be on guard to all of this. This is knowing how the enemy works. As we talked about, false prophets, false teachers will arise from amongst you. They will be wolves in sheep's clothing. The thing is today that is different than any other time in eternity is those wolves don't just show up necessarily in your church on a Sunday morning. They can be all over every form of social media and the internet and they can influence you and these people because they don't have any idea what God's word actually says. They just have ideas about God that they've heard from somebody and they're going to go with that. But where the church ends and Jesus begins, you should never be able to see any distinction between them. So if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake because they do not know him who sent me. Who is him? It's the Father. They don't know him. So they're going to persecute you. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. So why are they being held to a standard? Because they've seen it. It's not a lack of information. They have rejected him. They don't want him. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will bear also bear witness, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's go to chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Now think about that for a moment. By killing the disciples of Jesus, they believe they're doing the Lord's work. Are they? No. But are they definitely, truly believing that they are? That means they are deceived, correct? They've rejected truth, but they are willing to execute on a belief system. If they reject Jesus, they reject the Father. He will testify of me. You should not be made to stumble. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Remember, synagogues were where everything happened. 
The time is coming that whoever kills you will thank the offer God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. These things I have told you that when the time comes, you remember that I told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now, what did he just say about the Spirit of God? He said that he will speak what I say. He speaks whatever he hears. What did Jesus do? He spoke Whatever he heard. What did he do? I did what I saw my father do. Do you see the interconnection? And where are they in us? And what were the disciples to be doing? What I did as a representative. I know this is information that we all kind of know, but I don't think we catch the, the, the reality of it, of what this means. Because it's so much more than all of this. Around the world today, there is somebody being persecuted and killed for their faith. That's not happening here. But is there persecution? Absolutely. The body of Christ has taken such a weak point in America that there is no truth, there is nothing out there except just a bunch of nonsense floating out in the air, and we just have no way of combating it because we have not devoted our lives truly to living for God. We've just existed. He told them the works that, it was a commandment, the works that I do, you will do also. It wasn't a suggestion. Hey, it'd be really cool if y'all just kind of hung out, and when the Spirit comes upon, like, would you just do some stuff? So they can, you know, like, Luke's got a big book to write, and we need him to fill it up. Like, could y'all do some stuff for him? I, think about that. It was a commandment. The works that I do, you will do also. Now, let's keep going. Verse 16. A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Uh, you will see me because I go to my Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to my Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now you notice he discerned this. He knew that they were thinking this. They knew that they were talking amongst themselves. He did not know because they did not ask him. He knew by the Spirit. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. What is he talking about? The cross. What's this come? They're going to celebrate. They're doing the Lord's work. We're getting this blasphemer out of the earth who is leading so many astray. We're getting rid of this guy. He said, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now that's true right there. It's insane. It's insane. I know women who went through 48 plus hours of labor. Horrible, painful 
nasty labor. And then not long after, like, I'm ready for another one. It's like, are you out of your mind? Anyway, that's why men don't have babies. We're too big of pansies, really. That's my first amen of the day. I'll take it. All right. We can relate, though. We get colds once in a while, so. Verse 22, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that to you that I shall pray to the Father for you, but for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Now watch what Jesus says. He answered them, Do you now believe? In other words, oh, finally, indeed the hour is coming, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Look at how much information Jesus has now introduced to his disciples before he's getting ready to go to the cross. The statements that I am in the Father and the Father in me, and then we will be in you. And the works that I did, you're going to do. It wasn't the great suggestion. You will do these. You will understand. Because we're in you. Where you begin, and the Father begins, and Jesus begins, and the Holy Spirit begins. You can't tell the difference. Because you are one. If you abide in me, you'll produce much fruit. All of these things that he was laying out for them. And now, in chapter 17, he goes off to pray. And look at the prayer. We read it last week, but I want you to see it again. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with, you, with yourself, with the glory which I had before, with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, and that, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, 
and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. When did he send them into the world? We always think as after the resurrection. And he says, I want you to wait. He actually did it when he gave the mandate, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these. That's when he sent them into the world. That wasn't just information. That was a commandment from Jesus. For their sake I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, the disciples of the disciples, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How will the world believe? When we're one in him, what are we doing? The works that he did. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I declare to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. How will the world know when we are in him, when we're abiding in the vine, what are we doing? We're doing the works. You see, we've, we've put all these things into little boxes off on the side and these ancillary things. We're trying to get something that has been in us the entire time. But to execute on it takes the abiding in the vine. A branch cannot produce fruit on its own if it's separated from the vine. So what's the problem with the church today? It's got to be that we're separated. How, why, when, that's for another week. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. Lord, I thank you for conviction of our hearts. Lord, we've just taken things for granted. We've allowed our position with you to just kind of just be a thing. And we kind of drag you along as a part of our lives instead of making you our lives. Lord, I thank you that you're convicting our hearts. That there's way more in store for those who will abide. May we be a people so full of you that the world cannot deny that they've seen you and they see us. Lord, I pray that you're glorified in every aspect of our life. Everything we say, everything we do brings glory to your name. And Father, I just thank you. We are made whole and righteous by you. It's in Jesus' name.
we're going to go to the other room and get set up and get ready to eat and decorate.